You're listening to the Truth About Bible Study taught by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. All right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for being part of our Sunday School class uh, once again. Uh, last week, we enjoyed a wonderful break. With, with having the layers come in and present their ministry and, and share with us what's going on in Poland. And it's been just a nice break from a topic that has produced quite a bit of heat in Christianity and not always a lot of light. And um, it, it's the topic of the truth about women in ministry. And this is just a topic that really seems to rub people the wrong way, one way or another. It's a topic that a lot of people feel very passionate about and what ends up happening is it becomes a topic that divides Christianity and produces a lot of heat and that there's all this arguing that goes on among Christians about what is right to believe with regard to women in ministry and very little is accomplished. It just seems like a lot of arguing going on. Um, and so what I want to do and what my hope is in addressing this in the Sunday School class is that we can do our best to get to what the Bible says on the topic. And that's not always the easiest thing to do because we have our sin natures. We have the influence of our culture. We have so many things that are speaking into our ears all the time that it's hard to discern the truth. Has anybody noticed this with the election going on in the States? That there's these constant barrage of messages from different news outlets, from both um, political parties, that you watch all of this and you get to the point where you're like, I have no idea what to believe. Like, when I read something on the news, you would expect it to be, there's an ounce of truth in it. But now you can't tell the difference between the tabloids and the actual news outlets because it's just, there's just so many messages. And so when we have all of these voices speaking to our ears all the time, we get to the point where we just can't tell what is truth and what is a lie. What is a result of my sin nature and my culture and my belief there? Or what is a result of, this is what the Bible actually teaches on the subject. And so with the topic of women in ministry, I think it's very important that we do our best to leave our presuppositions at the door and come to the Bible text as much as possible, trying to set aside the messages that we are constantly hearing from culture and even from ourselves. And so... Today what I want to do is I want to summarize and conclude our defense of complementarianism. That is the belief that men and women were created equal, but distinct in their roles and functions. That we are equal in our dignity and our worth and our value, but that God has ordained different roles for mankind and for womankind. And so we're going to continue our defense of that belief. We're going to discuss the attitude that complementarians ought to have about our beliefs and about those who differ from us. And so we want to look at this and say, okay, now if I believe this, how am I supposed to believe it? I mean, how should the belief affect my life? And how should I be handling people that have different beliefs? You know, how should I be interacting with them? How can I show Christian love toward people who disagree with me? And finally, we will be practically applying a complementarian complementarian perspective to the church. And so let's get back into our arguments for complementarianism. Let's pray and then we'll start. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. Uh, We thank you that you're a good God, that you are powerful, that you're strong, that you're mighty, that you are um, in control, uh, Lord. 
and that you are the head of your church and that um, we can look to your word and trust you and know that what you have for us is the best thing for us to do as a church. And Lord, there are so many voices um, telling us different things and what works and what doesn't work. And God, I thank you that we just have the Bible that we can trust. And help us today to approach it with humility and to um, be willing to hear what you have to say for us. Uh, um, we love you, Father, and we thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Arguments for complementarianism. The first one we talked about last week is God's creative design. And really, this is the foundation for what we believe in this subject. That when God created mankind, he had a very specific plan for men and women. We are both men and women created in God's image and of great value and significance, but we are created for a different purpose, a different role. And we see that in the order of creation. We see that in the creation and the designation of women as the helper. We see that in the man's naming of the woman. We see that in the order of Satan's temptation, that he undermined God's ordained natural order by speaking to the women first. And we see it in the order of accountability, that God came to Adam when both Adam and Eve had sinned. So we first see it in God's creative design. We second saw it last week in God's curse on Eve and on all womankind, that part of the curse <coughs> revealed the tension in the role that was already ordained. And so in every aspect of the curse, what we find is God taking something that was already part of his plan, and now it becomes more difficult. And that's the same when it comes to woman's man and woman in that relationship, that we have something that was already ordained that now would be more difficult. <clears throat> Number three, we see it in the pattern of Old Testament leadership. Number four, we see it in the example set in Jesus' ministry. Number five, we see it in the design of the early church. Number six, we see it in the Apostle Paul's teaching throughout his letters. And so last week we began this point. We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 to 9. We saw the headship of man and that the headship of man was based in the created order and the design of the creator. And what you'll find in all of these topics is the, the biggest... Um, argument that I've heard for egalitarianism is to say, well, in these verses, Paul was dealing with a very specific culture and he's dealing with a very specific church. And so those verses are applicable and they're, they're from God, but they aren't for us because our culture has changed because the education of women has changed throughout the 2000 year period. And so now we don't have to worry about these things as much. Okay? That God's plan is actually to get back to a point where men and women are equal in every way, in role and value. <clears throat> and the problem with that is that in every one of these verses, God does something to found the truth that's being given in something that, that is bigger than culture. So he, he founds the truth of complementarianism here in these passages in his creation. You can't say, well, it's about, it's about culture. No, it's about his design. It's about his intention from the beginning. And, and so let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 14, 33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Here we find that God is not the author of confusion. He's just spoken for 
32 verses on the subject of tongues, speaking in tongues. And now he kind of capstones that with this idea that God is not, he's not trying to bring about something that's so confusing and doesn't make sense in the church. He is the author of peace. And then he says in verse 34, let your women keep silent in the churches for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. You read those verses in any secular setting, and just like bombs go off, right? Like, like everybody's ready to fight. And I understand that, because even as I read that verse now, man, it's tough. It, it rubs you the wrong way. Okay, we have been cultured and, tra- and trained in one direction for so long that we read a verse like that, and it's like, ooh, that, is, that just is against the grain. But let's try and figure out what he's talking about here. So we said that, that all of what he's talking about is the idea that there's supposed to be, there's supposed to be order in the church, that there's not supposed to be confusion, that there should be peace and order. And part of that is that there is a role for women and a role for men. Here we have a church that is confused about gifts and the misusing of gifts for their own benefit rather than considering everyone else, right? That's what's going on with the tongues, is that people are speaking in tongues and they're not worried about everybody else. It's not for their benefit, it's for their own benefit. And your gift is not for you. And, and so they're messed up in the purpose of the gifts and they're messed up because they're trying to, to benefit themselves and not the whole body. And he follows this up directly with another problem that I think, I think can be kind of categorized the same way. That sometimes what you have is people working for the benefit of themselves rather than the benefit of the whole body. Okay? God has a plan. He has a design. He has a purpose. And there might be many people, many women who say, yeah, but I know this stuff. I could teach this class better than he is. And that might be true. Okay, And so it's possible to look at this and be like, yeah, but, but I have a plan that's better. I have something that's going to work better for this day and age. But I think we go back to God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as an all church of the saints, that all of what he's telling us is because it will keep the church run, running decently and in order. That there has to be this role distinction, that there has to be certain things that we're all accountable for and we're all responsible for. And God is designed in a certain way, and so let's not supersede His design with our own logic and our, our own intelligence. It just won't work. And so the verses here, they mean something. And it's very easy for us to read verses like this and be like, okay, don't really get them, but it doesn't make sense to me that women should be silent in churches all the time, and so I'm just going to pretend like they don't exist. Okay? it's better for us to dig deeper into these verses and say, what exactly are these verses teaching? Um, A lot of people would say that that the culture of the day, women were generally less educated. And so the thought here is that Paul is telling women to keep silent in the churches because they have much less education than the men. And so when they come to church, they're going to be asking all of these really simple questions that everybody knows the answer to anyway, and that their husbands could just sort out with them at home. And so there's just no reason for this charge today, because now we have women who are 
equally educated as men. And so we don't have to worry about keeping the women silent because they're going to ask silly questions. Okay? And that's what a lot of people think that this verse is teaching. I don't think that that's exactly what this verse is teaching. Now, there might be a sense where that plays a part, but when I look at the Apostle Paul and how he treated women throughout his ministry, I see that what he is doing is he's giving them positions. He is giving them responsibilities. He is, he is making them fellow laborers with him in the gospel, and he is constantly, at the end of the letters to the church, is constantly thanking women or saying hi to women who worked in the church as his fellow laborers. So a lot of Paul's ministry was helped by the women in the churches that he served in. And so I think Paul gives a great place to women. I don't think, I mean, he never segregates them from the teaching of the word. All of the commands to learn and to grow and to teach and to study and to get into the word and to memorize, all of those things were for women just as they were for men. And so when I look at this, I don't see, it doesn't seem like Paul is just all of a sudden going to go, yeah, but your women, they just, they just won't get it. And so keep them quiet because they're going to ask all these questions that you could answer at home easily. I don't think that that's, that's where he's going with this. And so, in this respect, when it comes to the education of women and the, the desire for women to be involved in their own spirituality, Christianity is very different. It's distinct from the culture because it says, you have your own relationship with God, you should get into the Bible, you should know it, you should study, you should, all the things that men are commanded to do there, women are commanded to do as well. And so, I don't think Paul is just prohibiting them from asking silly questions. I think Paul is is making a prohibition against women here from um, teaching and practicing spiritual authority over men in the church. He is at least reaffirming that God has ordained men to teach and to preach in spiritual authority in the church and He's ensuring that women don't take over the service with unnecessary and unhelpful questions. So he's, what he's doing is he, here is he's ensuring that it is men that are generally running the service and, and being the ones in spiritual authority in the church. And so it's not like you walk through the, the church doors or you walk into the church body, the, the gathering of believers, wherever that may be, and all of a sudden, because now there's a gathering of believers in a church, women can't open their mouths. I think we all understand that that's, that, that's not what he's talking about. So, but he must be talking about something. And to me, he must be talking about, especially based on what we're going to read in a moment in 1 Timothy, he must be talking about the women exercising spiritual authority and teaching. That's where the, the silence comes in. Okay? Paul is also likely, and I think we see this here, he is reminding husbands and wives that the husband is responsible to spiritually lead his wife. So that idea at the end about women going home and, and asking their husbands, I think that that's just a reminder for husbands that, guys, we've got to be responsible. We have to take the lead in our families and, and try and help our wives grow. And so if you're a man here, you should try and you should be working toward getting yourself in a position where you can lead your wife. Okay, what happens so often in Christian relationships and, and in churches is you have the women that desire truth and desire the word, and the men seem to just be the kind of like on for the ride. Like they're, they're passengers just waiting to be taken to church, and then they go and they, they hear their thing, and then they go home, and you know, it, 
it, it's kind of like the, the spiritual realm is the realm of the women in the home. And that's just not supposed to be God's design. Okay, God's plan was that, that the men would take the lead in that area. And so I think this is a reminder for men as well. So that's what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 9 to 14 says, In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but that which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So Paul begins this section, he's writing to Timothy. Timothy is his son in the faith, and he sent Timothy to pastor a church. And so he's helping Timothy to understand how he's supposed to pastor this church. And he speaks to Timothy about how women should be acting, and how they should be dressing, and how they should carry themselves. And he begins the section saying, it shouldn't be all about their outward appearance. Right? All of these things... Granted, we might say, well, gold and pearls and costly array, all those things. It's just pointing to the fact that it shouldn't be all about what you look like. Okay? Uh, we would never say that braided hair is sinful. But he says, well, they should avoid braided hair. Well, what's that about? Well, for them, that was just a, a sign of drawing attention to themselves. And so in all of these cases, it's everybody look at me. And that's not what it should be about. He says, instead, women should be living in a way that professes godliness, that you should be able to look at their lives and see this godly character. And that kind of life is of great value to the Lord. Yes, Beth? Can I say something? Yeah. Apparently they braided their hair with gold and pearls, very, very expensive mm-hmm. uh, chains and so on. And, and so it would be not just look at me, but it would be wasting a lot of money mm-hmm. to, to do this. Crazy. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so he doesn't want us to be spending all of our finances on what we look like. And, and I think if we would get this um, principle, uh, then sometimes, sometimes he says things like this, and you're like, that's very specific. I can't believe he told women not to wear a pearl, right? But if, we, if he would have just said, just make sure you take care of your outward appearance, uh, don't focus too much on that, then what everybody would do would be like, okay, well, well, I'm not going to do that, but I'm clearly not doing that already, so I'm fine, right? And so we would take this principle, and then we would apply it to someone else. And so I think Paul sometimes has to get specific, because he has to say, just so you know, this is what I'm talking about. You're all going out, and you're spending all of your money, and all of your time, and all of your concern is about what you look like, and that's just not what it's supposed to be about. Now, is it a bad thing for one to get up and, and have a shower and put on some makeup and, and present themselves well? No, I don't think it is. Absolutely not. I'm thankful that you do. <laughs> All right? Steve does. I'm thankful that Steve does too. Um, but I think it's just, what are we putting our attention on? What, what is most important to us, right? Do we crave that attention or are we trying to live a godly life? and have our character profess what we believe. And I think that's what it's about. So that's the introduction to verse 11. It says, Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. 
Here are specific instructions to Timothy about what he's supposed to teach ladies in his church. And the teaching is, again, that women should be silent in the churches, that they're not to be the ones in the teaching role, the, the main teaching role with men and women in a mixed group, and that they're not to usurp or exercise authority there. And clearly that's speaking about a spiritual authority. Now when we read these verses, we either have to say, well, the Bible seems to be abundantly clear. And again, he founds this truth in the, the fall, actually, the, the creative creation story and then the fall. And so we either have to say the Bible is being clear. And so God's word, I mean, we, we, we have the choice. Do we trust what the Bible's saying here clearly? Or do we find a way to, um, to relegate this teaching to only Timothy and only Timothy's church or only this time period or only this city. See, we have to make decisions like this because it's not fair for us to go through and say amen to the Bible constantly and then get to a passage that we say, well, that doesn't fit. That's not fair. I don't like that part. That's just for them, right? That's not for me. That's not for us. It's not for this day and age. It's not fair for us to do that. So we either have to have a very good reason to do that to say that, well, that's it's clearly cultural. Or we look at that and we say, okay, guys, this is what God has ordained for his church. And so if we want to be a church that is pleasing to God, then this is the path we must attempt to follow. Okay, now, working out exactly how all this works, that's for us to do, right? So we, we get this, this teaching clearly. Women should not be teaching in a mixed group. They should be not exercising spiritual authority over men. Okay. Now, how does that apply exactly? You know, should women be worship leaders? Should women be praying before the service? Should women be reading scripture? Right? There's a lot of questions we have to start answering. And I think the question to, to most of those things is, is yes, I think that's okay. But we have to figure out what does it mean? But I think we could say very clearly, it means that they shouldn't have the primary teaching or preaching role in the church. It means very clearly that they shouldn't be the ones that have uh, positions of highest authority spiritually in the church. I think those things are clear. Okay, and the rest of the things, we've got to work out how they, they apply in our situation. So they are to learn with silence and with subjection. It's to willingly place themselves under. And again, this is, this is not men. We've heard this, and now because we're men, we're going to figure out how to make our women submit, like Paul says. <laughs> No, this, this verse is written to women. Timothy is to teach women to do this. And, and, and so now it becomes the woman's responsibility to willingly do what God has called her to do, to be in the role that God has called her to be. So God doesn't, doesn't say, and Timothy, when, if they don't do this, then you figure out a way to silence them. Timothy, when they don't do this, then you figure out, you know, you exercise your strength, your might, because you're just a man. No, he's not saying that. He's speaking to women because that's what God does, right? He, he speaks to men and he speaks to women and he tells us what we're supposed to do. And it's up to us as individuals to respond to what he teaches. All right? Kim. I think sometimes too we're looking at it like the, the role of teaching is the greatest role instead of the role that God has given us, that's the greatest role. It's not that it's not the teaching it or preaching is the greatest role. And I think when we look at it like that, then we feel like that's not fair. But when we look at it as, man, this is the role that God has given me, it's the greatest role. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Kim, you're absolutely right. The, 
the singular problem with how we view this in our minds is we have developed um, a, a table of importance when it comes to jobs in the church. And we have decided that the very most important role is the role of the elder or the preacher or the teacher. In fact, you would probably look at at this church and say, well, pastor's a little bit more important than Dan because he preaches to the biggest crowd more often. That's how most people, this is how the secular mind would look at this whole thing, right? So you'd say, okay, well, we've got our order of importance based on these roles. And maybe like below that is the Sunday school teachers and below that is whatever. And then maybe like the youth leaders and some, and then maybe by age we go down to like, okay, now we're in the nursery section and then we're at the cleaning section. Like, and we're, we're deciding, you know, all of these roles. And that is just a worldly way of looking at it. There is no other way to describe it. That is not God's way of looking at the jobs in the churches. And he makes that abundantly clear to us in 1 Corinthians 12, that we're all a part of a body, that we don't all have that same office. And then that's a good thing that we should celebrate the, the role and the responsibility and the gift that God has given each of us, because what God has given you to do is the most important thing. Okay? And it, it would be worse for you to try and Take a role that God hasn't made for you. And so we have to here trust God's good design, that God is good, that, that God has designed us all equally. Yes, Mary. It has been said that, you know, some people are uncomfortable with, with women in the pulpit, but it's also very uncomfortable for women to be judged by men. Mm-hmm. This, the church that I can see needs at least a woman that women can go to. You've got a lot of mm-hmm. young people here. I don't want to stand in front of three men and tell them my innermost problems that I have mm-hmm. without a woman representative. And I don't see that. Is that part of no. like make me understand? Yes, absolutely. And and that's a great point because you, you get an, I think the situation you're talking about is if you had to go to somebody and you had a problem and you were a woman in the church and you had a problem, then at the moment it might feel like to you that while your options are the four male elders, that's, that's the only people you can get counseling from. And that, I believe that's not actually the case. I think what's important here is, and we'll get into this, we'll talk about what the things that women can do. Okay. And so hopefully when we get into that, that will answer your question. But can women counsel other women that come in? Absolutely, they should. If a woman came to, came to me with like these deep problems, I'd be like, there's people in our church that are going to, like, you need to talk to them. There's these ladies in the church that do a much better job. And I would say that um, somebody like Kim does far more counseling of women than any, than pastor I would. So. But there's 150 women that right now would go to Kim, and I don't think she can handle it all. No. <laughs> Yeah. We do have a lot of, I mean, and even with Tara, young girls will go to Tara, and we have Carolyn and, and my mom, and we do have a lot of women that it, where it's like, okay, I'm comfortable, I'll talk to that, you know. Yeah. And I guess I, what I'm saying is, do we know to do that? Who knows? Do, like, know. does everybody know? Like, have you made it? Yeah. yeah like, no. like, I'm just, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. and maybe, maybe that should be made more public, is what you're saying, that we should announce that? Okay. Women talk to women. Yep. Yeah. I think it comes down to giving a title to a woman is, 
maybe what she's talking yeah. about is these titles with yeah. pastor and co-pastor and elders and that. And I think I think it's superficial, though. You yeah. know what I'm saying? For a woman to have a title, but I think maybe Mary thinks that a woman should have, you know, a title of what she does mm -hmm. in the church to make it more noticeable to other women. I yep. don't know. I don't know. Yep. No, you can see whatever name. It doesn't have to be an abbasid group or something. Yep. Yep. I I would not go and stand between in front of four. We wouldn't. We wouldn't ask you to. No. <laughs> No, absolutely not. And that, that wouldn't be fair. That wouldn't be right. We would never, we'd never ask you to do that. And so if you were to come, if a woman was like, well, I don't know who I'm supposed to go to. And so they came to one of the elders and they said, I need some counseling, but I'd rather speak to a woman. Who can I talk to? Then we would absolutely find somebody for them to talk to. Kim wants a title. We're going to give her the title queen. All right. As a body of believers, I believe if you had an issue in your life, I would rather go to somebody that has had that issue the same way and talk to him. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, and that's that's right. And and part of this, I think, too, Mary, is that um, the the idea of a, a family and the way that the church functions is it's not just that the elders of the church are the people that you can talk to. And so you're a part of this family, and you get to know people in this church family, and you have an issue in a certain area, and you say, you know what, I know this person that, that I'm, you know, my, my sister in Christ here. She's dealt with something like this before, and so I'm going to go talk to her. So it doesn't have to be this really formal, like, okay, this person is the counselor. It can be just like, this person has gone through this before. They've de dealt with this kind of struggle, or this kind of loss, or this kind of difficulty, and so I'll go to them. But maybe I go to somebody else for a different problem. Right? And so, so I know what you're saying, and, and I think that taking steps to make it more clear to people who are especially new to the church of what women that they could go to, um, that letting them know that might be a good thing for us to do. Now, I think that they could just ask and we would tell them. Um, but I don't think we need to have, like, the Bible doesn't give us, and so we, we don't need to have a title that that person would have other than we would just be letting people know that if you if you have an issue then talk to them i think the bible's clear uh, no matter what your title is or sex is we're still dear and near to god no matter who we are what title we have what position in life we have you know the the bible's clear on that and i think you, you hit it uh down you said we make importance on uh, what position you are or mm -hmm. what title you, you have mm -hmm. you know and that's not it god sees our hearts you know it's yep. not what title we carry it's yep. in our yep. heart Absolutely. and that doesn't hinder our relationship with god no matter what position we are yep. man or woman or yep. you know yep. yeah christ was constantly flipping that that idea that like the the person in charge is always first he was flipping that on its head all the time Right, the last shall be first. Who, who are the people that he has time for? He has time for the Samaritan woman at the well. He has time for the people who are sick and who have leprosy and who are the outcasts of society. Christ was always demonstrating to us that your value and your importance is not based on your title. But I, I get the point that um, practically, when women have problems, they, do, they, they need to go, and it's going to be better for them to go to another woman for a lot of those issues. And so they should. And it's just a matter of figuring out how we do that. Um, so is there um, like verses in the Bible that would, I mean, I know there 
article that explained like how we are to grow as a church and like and then does it make distinctions between men and women? Like I just wonder if that would help in this discussion on um, maybe some not hierarchy, but just like a system of how we um, grow and who we go to for support and counseling. Like is there a biblical framework for that and does it distinguish between men and um, let's let's get into when we when we get past this final defense and maybe I've defended it well enough and you're all like I'm convinced stop. <laughs> but I, I kind of want to get to the just to what women do because I think that'll give us an idea of those things. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, yes. Well, Titus two does talk about um, the older women. I know I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely right. She should get up and engage. I know. <laughs> yes. Tom. Uh, I think to understand, uh, we have to look at things as a unity, uh, like as a church as a unity, as a marriage as a unity. Mm-hmm. Really, it compares to the unity that is the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Okay, who's the most important person in the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yet there is authority and structure within that trinity. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to understand our roles, but to understand that we're equally that all, uh, you know, a part of God's kingdom working together as a unity. Yep, yep, absolutely. You're right. We see examples of, of submission happening all over Scripture when we don't have importance and value placed on those things. Yeah. Um, yeah, great point, Tom. Good. All right. First Timothy chapter three verse one says, "This is a true saying: If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife." And he goes on to give the qualifications for an elder. But he begins saying that it is a man who desires the office of a bishop, and they must be the husband of one wife. So, so we're looking at a non-polygamous male. Now, you can go on in that same chapter, and you can look at the qualifications for a deacon, and you you might be able to make an argument for a female deacon. And I'm not going to get into that today, but the point here is that there is absolutely no loophole when it comes to the elders of the church. So you can't make an argument from 1 Timothy 3 that women could be included in that. You could make an argument that women could be included as a deacon, okay? But you can't when it comes to an elder. So we see that in that text as well. Um, number seven, as far as these, these big reasons why I think the Bible teaches complementarianism, number seven is God's design for marriage. We see that the church here is a family. We've spoken about this actually already today, that the church is a family, and just as God has ordained different roles that are equally valuable within a family unit, he has done the same in the church. And in fact, the church in many ways mirrors, or at least is consistent with God's design for the family. And so can you imagine if, the, if, if it was true that women could be elders in the church or pastors in the church? You could have a man who is called to be the head of his house, who is called to lead his wife, and a woman who is called to submit to her husband, and then they, they get to church, and all of a sudden she is the elder and the spiritual authority, and she's the one preaching at him. It would just be confusing, wouldn't it? And God is not the author author of confusion. And so that situation, it wouldn't work very well. Okay? It would be very difficult. 
And, and God is just not designing things so that, okay, here we have these roles, but then everything flips on its head over here. It's, it's consistent, right? This family mirrors the, the smaller family unit God has created. And so that is God's design for marriage. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 to 33, it, it lays all that out. I'm not going to read that this morning, but if you want to go ahead and read it, it will give you a, a good idea of what family roles are supposed to look like. Okay. Um, <clears throat> number eight, an overview of scriptural teaching as a whole. Uh, in the first week, what we did is we took the arguments for egalitarianism, that men and women are equal, and that includes our function and our role, that we should, we should be able to have the exact same functions and roles. And we looked at an, uh, an essay that was written by Dr. Scholar and was embraced by Fuller Theological Seminary as basically their position on... Um, women and ministry. And I found that as we went through that, uh, I kind of gave the arguments and then gave some counter arguments to what was being said. And I found the arguments that were given fairly underwhelming, that they seemed like they were stretches and they were twisting things out of place. But the one statement in the essay that shocked me more than anything else was at the very end of the essay, he said, opposition to women in ministry has often been mounted virtually on the basis of one Pauline text. 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. We just read those verses. He goes on, he says, Whatever that difficult text in context means, it must be put in balance with all other biblical texts that bear on the same issue. And that shocked me because the idea that women have a certain role to play in God's economy that is distinct and different from men, being founded only in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that, it's crazy. It's insane to think that that's the only place that we're getting this teaching. We've already just gone through a few verses, and we could go to many more that are teaching the same thing throughout the New Testament. We've looked at the very beginning from creation, and the fall, and the Old Testament example, and Jesus' example, and the example of the other church, and and Paul's teachings in his epistles. We look at the whole Bible and we see this over and over again. And so to say that 1 Timothy 2 is the only place, is, it's just not true. Um, <clears throat> and so here is the truth. I believe the impetus behind the argument for egalitarianism is not the discovery of a new, previously overlooked truth in Scripture, but a culture that frowns upon the system that God has designed. I really think that the reason we have this huge discussion in the last 50 years in the church, it's not because we've gone to the text and said, well, the Greek really means this, or the Hebrew really meant this. It's not that all of a sudden we have people who can speak Greek and Hebrew, and we didn't for the last 2,000 years of church history. The, the, the reason for the impetus behind it is that we have a culture that says that's not okay. That if you do that, we are not going to like it. We're going to call you names. Right? We're going to think you're misogynistic. We're going to think you're bigoted. We're going to think you're chauvinistic. We're going to think you're this awful, awful, terrible person. And if you're a woman, you should be ashamed of yourself to think of yourself that way. Right? This is the message from the culture. And that's so unfortunate. Because God has designed women with an equally important role. And, and to just start to think that your role is less important is already wrong. It's not. And so I believe that the impetus behind the argument for egalitarianism is found 
purely in our modern culture. As John Piper said, you don't have to do a compliment, be a complementarian to be saved. But when you start resorting to the kind of gymnastics that need to fi- that are needed to find egalitarianism in Scripture, then sooner or later you are going to get the gospel wrong. And what he's saying is, when you start looking, twisting Scripture this way in this area, if you start doing this kind of Greek and Hebrew gymnastics or changing or twisting the context to suit what you wanted to say in this area, then sooner or later you're going to get other things wrong too. And those things can get very serious. And so I think we have to realize that the clear reading of the Scripture and the, and the understanding of the church for 2,000 years has been that women and men have different roles. And that's a good thing. It's God's design. And here's what, what happens is, uh, we are missing out on the blessings of what God has designed to be good and right. The fact that we're, we're always fighting this and, and debating this, and the fact that we're allowing culture to get into this so much in our church, is that we're missing out on the glory of what God has created. That this is a good thing, that we should be celebrating it. That we should be thankful that God has made it this way because it works harmoniously. That it is right. And that, that we're both so valuable. That the, the differences between, between men and women should be celebrated, not destroyed. There's, there's good things to be seen here. And unfortunately, I think because we're scared of this topic, we just kind of like back away from it or we hold it, but we kind of hold it quietly in our back pocket so nobody really knows and sees. And, and that's just not, it's not how it should be. Okay, scripture is clear. Male leadership is the normal way that God works. That is not meant to diminish females in any way, shape, or form. <clears throat> and so we should celebrate both of our distinct roles. And so the final reason I had here, we already mentioned it, was the example of church history. Um, we're getting into the time that we have to be done for today. So we didn't get to the attitude of complementarians or the practical applications of complementarianism, but that'll give us a great thing to talk about next week, won't it? Yeah. All right, thanks everyone.